0: I want to talk to you about being ready. Being ready. We're to be ready in season and out of season. And um, I I feel this is one of my life missions, maybe one of my life messages. I feel like I'm an equipper according to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm the guy behind the counter giving out your military gear and your boots and your your shovels and your utility belt, your, you know, your weapon and your, your helmet and what you need, you know, your eye protection and uh, you know, your map, you know, what, 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 your, what your orders, your marching orders are. The Holy Spirit is there to give you guidance. And, and part of that is he, he raises up apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I've benefited hugely from the impact of those Ascension gift ministries that have poured into my life. I'm, I'm so grateful for moments like this. Don't underestimate the value of showing up in a moment like this to hear the word of the Lord. I believe it'll really, really help you. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now this is context history-wise. The earthly ministry of Jesus is about to begin. And these gospels start out with the pre-virgin birth experience in Bethlehem. And it goes on into the earthly ministry and it it, uh, chronicles in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from all their perspectives by the Holy Spirit, the amazing events that transpired. And that God is our God. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's very, very stimulating. And you see it as history. You see it as clear documentation But in addition to being snapshots from antiquity, it's also a pattern of behavior. It provides a certain impetus and a certain dimension in our thinking that Jesus, the head of the church, wants to replenish us and lead us into similar and even greater works than these. And so when you read the book of Acts, who was written by Luke, then the physician and his observations it's an absolutely fantastic 28 chapter document that is actually still continuing. The Bible's not being written anymore, but these chapters of Acts are repeating generation after generation because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what spilled out of the upper room in Acts chapter 2 continues to spill out. Uh, the rushing mighty wind of the rarefied air of heaven is still available for us to take hold of, and the living water that Jesus talked about, is still uh, willing to flow in and through people that are dedicated to him. So this is a dedication moment. This is a moment for us at the year beginning to say, thank you, God. We made it through what was one of the most complex and interesting years with a series of challenges, and now we're moving on, and we're moving on in faith, and we're moving on because we have to, and because we get to, and everybody said "Amen." amen. As it is written, In Isaiah the prophet, behold, look, ponder, think about this. Get a hold of this idea. I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, it goes on and says that John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He was a a forerunner of what Jesus was about to bring. His baptism was different than the baptism you and I have experienced. It was a Jewish uh, bath of a washing, acknowledgement of the need for cleansing and for purification to move forward. It was from the law. John was a prophetic voice that was preparing the way for Jesus. That was the first coming. We need to get ready for the second coming. And from that point on, after Jesus died on the cross, it's been the end times. So there's been this 2,000-year developmental period, and aren't you glad God has allowed us to be alive and exist and have enjoy eternity with Him, and be in this place of readiness and be in this hour that we live in? It's a privilege to have uh, endured to this point. It's a privilege what we've been through in the dysfunction of our own households and families and growing up and the troubles or or trials or blessings and triumphs we had through school or or whatever experiences and disappointments and failures or joys and breakthroughs we've had through life, uh, all are designed and all are present, all there and actually, though they feel discombobulated, actually correlate and that what the enemy meant for harm, God turns around for good, that we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, whom He foreknew, He also did predestined to conform to His image. And that is our passion to, to know Him. Paul said, "Oh, that I might know him." And see, there was an inkling. There was a light beam. I like these new flashlights. Uh, that the the cops use them first that was there's called Surefire and they use these special batteries and they have these amazing bulbs and they shoot such major beams of light and my family could tell you somebody gave me one years ago and I went outside in the yard and I lit up the treetops and I you know I, I would walk up on the deer and the deer would look at me and like a deer like a deer in the headlights Uh, One time I was driving out in the country with a friend and we were fishing. We fished until late at night. We were on these dirt roads that we weren't familiar with. We opened up my sunroof. He had a light. I had a light. He gave me that light as a gift. So I said, let's turn our lights on. I turned the lights on. We turned our headlights off. We were driving along. We felt like the man and the other man, you know. We were like the man. And I wanna tell you, God's got a light a, ray, a supernatural beam that he wants to provide. His word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And even when other lights go out and even when other indications aren't clear, other indicators are, are, are vague, we are uh, led by the Holy Spirit. And we, are, we discern all things. In fact, the Bible says, a spiritual man appraises all things and yet he or she is appraised by no man. We have a moment now where we can discern. We can lift up our eyes. We can look past the fray. And God's actually making us ready so we can be a voice. We can be an encouragement. We can be soul winning. We can be prayerful. Uh, we can be on the cutting edge of what God has for us. And so this was why God got these guys ready. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And, you know... Uh, I wanna talk to you about a a, a couple of things. Um, One time, a pilot in our church, he's now retired, Rich Treblehorn, I've known for many, many years. I think that he flew with Ozark, and then TWA, and eventually American, and then he retired. But at one point, he called me, and said, Pastor Jeff, would you be interested in uh, meeting me up by the airport and going into a flight simulator? I went, oh yeah, sure dude, you know. It was a cool thing, it's like, and I thought maybe it's like a video game at an arcade with a little 24 inch screen and a little joystick. You know, I didn't really have a concept for what I was getting into. And uh, I thought, well yeah, sure. What had happened was the people in their airline uh, were upgrading and coming in with a new type of uh, jet that had some uh, different instrumentation and some different features, improvements. So all the rank and file of the pilots and co-pilots and uh, uh, instrument folks had to go in and they had to log on a certain amount of hours uh, in the simulator uh, before they actually got in the actual plane that would involve carrying people. Who's glad for that? And um, so uh, I drove up to the airport, I think we had to go through a gate, you know, and I had to get a badge, it was pretty cool. And, uh, and I went into a building that was about like this church uh, building. And, it was a, and maybe the ceilings were just a little bit higher, but it was, it was a big warehouse next to the airport, not far from Lambert Field. And we got in there and there were, to my surprise, these gigantic, odd-shaped, sort of like little mini buildings on the inside uh, rows of these, you know, maybe, as I recall, maybe five or six of them in a building about this size. They were they were like little, <laughs> they were they were they were like they were big, you know, they were way bigger than I thought, and it was kind of intimidating. And you had to walk upstairs to get inside, and on the inside they had replicated exactly the way the cockpit was going to be, so that these pilots that you and I rely on will have a skill set developed in a safe situation. So Rich was funny. He was, he was a guy. He was like, uh, yeah, you know, because he's lived this whole life as a pilot. So he goes, I said, uh, Rich, uh, what, what, what do I do? He goes, yeah, just get in there. You know, it's kind of self-explanatory. It's like, you know, it just, it, it just threw me in the deep end, you know. I was like, oh, okay. And, and I got in there and um, closed the door. And then it, you know, gave me options. And And I got to land in, I think, Albuquerque, New Mexico. I got to land up at uh, LaGuardia or or JFK or something. I I landed here in St. Louis. I landed, I picked San Diego where I was raised. And man, I think I crashed in the bay in San Diego. I crashed at the airport. I mean, it was like, I was like, it would go, and this voice would say, warning, warning, and it would go, boop, boop, boop. I came out sweating. Did you have a good time, Ruth? said? I don't know. I still don't know if I had a good time. I think I'm recovering from it. But something I learned from the value of preparation, and it made me very grateful. Every time I took a flight and a man or woman was at the helm, I thought, thank God for preparation. Thank God for the medical care people that spend hours with cadavers. They spend hours training, preparing, preparing, preparing for that life-saving moment. Thank God for God preparing Moses for 40 years plus, 30 years from the time God spoke to him to the burning bush. How about that? And then bang, come on, it's time to go. All the development of Paul the Apostle. 13 years in the wilderness, and then he comes out thinking differently, seeing things differently, better at what he was about to be called to do. I think that we can learn, we can grow as we dedicate ourselves and as we face the new year. Listen, we don't have to be hyped up. We don't have to overcommit. I think we've had a lot of experiences that are just like, I'm just grateful I'm still here, man. I'm still breathing and thank God we've still overcome. And so I I don't want to overcomplicate this. I actually want to tell you, you're already being sanctified and you're already being made useful for the master's work. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 21 says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, from murmuring, from worldly chatter, from the vices of the world, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful to the master. Look at this, prepared for every good work. God is preparing you. For thrival, you're going to thrive. Not survival, but thrival. That's my new word. Uh, We're thriving. We're to grow up in him. We're to expect the possibility that God has something he'll have us do, some, a series of things. I've talked to people at their deathbed, and I said, look, I don't think you're supposed to go yet. I've said this many times with people, haven't I? And uh, they said, Really? They were ready to go home and be with the Lord. They were in Philippians where uh, Paul said, I, you know, "I'm torn between two things. I, you know I long to go be with the Lord, which is uh, far better, but I know there are certain things more God wants me to do." And I would say to some of these beautiful saints in our church, "There's just more for you to do." And they go, "Really? Well, I mean people would say, "Really?" And then they would stick around for a couple of years, and God would have used them, in, so it's in prayer. God would have used them in, in winning people to the Lord. God would use them in such interesting, beautiful, um, powerful ways. And then eventually they'd go be with the Lord. I think with uh, uh, Lazarus, you know, he died. God raised him from the dead. God really used Lazarus. We're talking about him today. He eventually died again, and he didn't get raised up again. He got to go be with the Lord. But God will keep you alive long enough till you fulfill your call. And God will keep a church motoring through all the challenges of life and go through the eye of a needle and get prepared uh, for providing that leadership and that quality care in the next increments and the next sessions of whatever the, the master and Lord of the harvest has planned. So we just sharpen our sickles, we prepare the barns, we, we don't sleep during harvest, nor do we get overly exaggerated, nor do we get all, all hyped up, nor do we try to listen to the 57,000 prophetic voices trying to tell us what, how we're supposed to think. No, we get the more sure word of prophecy and feed off of its pages, and we, we derive amazing direction. Listen, there's value in preparation. I'm glad Pilate Rich Treblehorn had experience at the simulator. And I'm glad the Lord allows you and me to have experiences in life that prepare us. And so this will help you not to be discouraged when you go through stuff, good things and bad things, because you just can reconcile it with the confidence that the Lord will cause all things to work together for your good. Credibility will come to you. Sensitivity will come to you compassion will come to you as you go through the the seasons of life. When we went through the flood in 93, I know God didn't put it on us, but it happened. And what came through it was we felt an awareness that I had never experienced before of what it's like to go through a natural disaster on that level and and to have such a disruptive, pervasive loss and how to keep from being loss-centered and how to get my mind on the replenishment of God and the directives of God and how to provide leadership in a depressing moment, in a numbing moment. It was mind numbing and my, I was not at my best physically or emotionally, spiritually. It was, I had been drained from getting back in a building program and getting in this building and working with City Hall and having to work through all those tech, technical things. And yet God, the anointing is always fresh and always available to bring replenishment through high times and hard times. So I I think about growing up in California and just really quickly, you know that um, I've experienced a lot of water testimonies. And um, when I was about four or five years old, I got put in the backyard swim program in San Diego I didn't tell this in the last service. This is just for you. But my mom took me to the store to buy a swimming suit. Did I ever tell you this? I picked a white Speedo. (laughs) I was like five years old, but my my friends still had developed. They knew some mockery. They knew some some teasing. It's like, are those your underpants? (laughs) No, this is a bathing suit, man. I'm going all Euro-fabulous. I was five years old. That was the last time I would ever do that. But I, they, they taught us how to swim. They taught us how to tread water. They even taught us how to, one time they had us, they told our moms, uh, have your kids bring a, a button down long sleeve shirt, a belt with pants, uh, shoes and socks. Uh, we're gonna teach them how to survive. And they, they put us in the deep end and taught us how to save yourself if you fell into water. And um, you take your shoes off and, you know, that kind of, you take off your coat. You make sure you can, and you tread water. They teach you how not to oh, panic. They teach you how not to panic. Do you know a lot of you are more equipped than you realize? That when others are panicking? I read a book about survivorship that Scott Richard gave me after I came back from one of my boat events. And he, um, a man had done research. It was empirical evidence throughout the world. This guy had studied. He had gone through a ferry accident from Estonia to Finland that I think killed about 800 people, but he survived. And he wondered why such a small percentage of people were responsive, and most people just didn't do the right thing. Some people did the wrong thing. He said roughly 10% of the people do the right thing, 10% do the wrong thing, and 80% do nothing. So this really spoke to me. God... I'm grateful to say has equipped me with a dynamic, maybe because he's called me to leadership. He's always like prompted me to kind of know what to do. You know, tear the door off of that car, get that person out of the car. I remember an accident at Babbler Park. And while I'm a, I'm a teenager, but I, I, know, I knew don't move this person, move this person, but don't move this person because of possibility of a spine injury. But don't just sit there and go, whoa, man, what, happened? you know, just, uh, uh, you know, we didn't have cell phone technology then, this was years ago, uh, so somebody had to go to a, a, a phone and make a call and everything, but you just put that fire out, you know, get that fire stopped, put pressure on that if it's bleeding, you know, that there are things, there are reasons, when I, I, I was in Boy Scouts, my wife was a Girl Scout, right, and part of the dynamic was be prepared. Do a good deed daily, stuff like that. I think it's all been sifted out of it. The Judeo-Christian ethic is people become hostile to it, so let's filter all that out. But that in fact was what was driving it when we were young people. And so be prepared is actually, as I've studied my Bible and as I've grown in God, I've found it to be not just a good motto from a scout group as a boy or a girl, but a lifetime for every Christian. And whether you're a new believer, whether you're a struggling believer, whether you're a thriving person, whether you're just feeling like you're coping, I wanna tell you, God, his eyes are running to and fro throughout the earth, looking for a man or a woman or a kid whose heart is complete toward him and submitted to him and hungry for him, that he may strongly support. And I wanna see what that looks like for me, for my family, for my wife, for my children, grandchildren, for you guys. I have a passion about this, and I hope you do too. I hope you understand that Ephesians 2:10 is pertinent for you. You are his workmanship. You have been created in Christ for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that you should walk in them. Amen. We're to be ready to do good and to share. First Timothy chapter six. Let's look at this, verse 18. First Timothy chapter 6. In verse 18, and uh, again, you know, you you read it in your translation, I'll read it in mine, but definitely read your Bible. This is how you're going to find your way. It says, instruct them uh, to do good and to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. I am responsible before God. Look, I read this scripture to a man at a deathbed. On a Saturday, a guy who just ignored church, a guy that, I'll just tell you without disparaging him, was was harsh on his family, yet ultra-prominent, ultra-wealthy, but lost. And God prompted me when I was tired, and I was actually... I discipline myself on Saturday sermon days to prepare and to guard myself from a lot of interaction so my primary interaction is with God and with his word so I could bring something good to you not just influenced by the last I'm like a sponge maybe some of you are like that where you know you you could be most like the last event you had you know so you got to guard yourself with that and I want my event to be with God when I come to speak to you but in this case the Lord uncharacteristically said get up go to the hospital talk to this guy and I got to the hospital. There was an obstruction there that I won't elaborate on, except that God removed the obstruction. There was a lady that had earplugs in, and she was buffing the floor. Uh, I walked up to her. I said, uh, how do I get to such and such a place? She pulled, excuse me? I said, how? She said, go down here, go up here, go up this elevator. So we went all the way through this like a maze, popped in, got to the guy's room, and the Lord had me read this. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. It's like, God did, hey, give him a word and tell him not to be conceited. He, he died 12 hours or 14 hours later, and this is what the Lord's prompted me to say. This was not exactly, hey, man. It was like, you need to repent. In fact, he said, my son and I went in there, Taylor and I went in there, and he said, well, I, we, I said, and this is what the Lord's told me to say to him and this is uncharacteristic of me because it feels heavy-handed and religious. I've come to lead you to the Lord, is what the Lord had me say. I've come to lead you to the Lord. And he looked at my son and he looked at me and said, okay, boys, show me what you got. Pressure was on. God had given me this interesting scripture. I said, okay, the Lord told me to instruct you because I knew something of his life. Instruct them to do good and, to, and, be, and storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. My son prayed with him. He got saved. Slapped himself on the forehead. He said, what the hell just happened? Sorry, kids. That's literally what he said. And what happened was he got delivered from hell. I told his adult daughter what he said because she goes, I know he got saved and that was him. That was what he would have said. He got saved. Got to be ready for some things. Kids, pardon me for saying that. The parents will clarify that to you for the purposes of this message. I'm not using it. I'm literally quoting what the man said. It's not appropriate to talk that way, but that was appropriate for him because that was what he was coming out of. But he had gotten saved and he went to heaven within a few hours. But in the core of this, you're still alive. You're not in your deathbed. You have a moment right here and this is what I instruct you on. Do good. Do good be rich in good works, be generous, ready to share, ready to serve, ready to give. This is echoed again in the other pastoral letter, Titus 3.1, it says, be ready for every good deed. That's what the Boy Scouts said, do a good deed daily and be prepared. I mean, they they taught us how to do first aid and it's come in handy for me. They've taught us how to provide leadership I remember I went on camp outs. I was a little skinny, scrawny kid. I had a backpack, and I read in the Boy Scout manual to load it up. It was like 50 pounds, and I was about 53 pounds. And I cried. I mean, I carried that thing. I was like, oh. So I thought, all I'm going to do on the next camp out is bring my sleeping bag and a package of Oreos, because that's really all you need in life. And. Um, I was so excited because I just had my, I had my, I stripped down a minimal, minimalist. I had a few other things, but I mean, it was, it was so, I was like, oh, this is so great. Well, I was one of the leaders, and my, my adult leader said, um, we had a break, and he, he went over and he picked up my backpack, and he said, hey, um, Perry, trade, trade your pack with him. This little boy was over here crying. He was a little bit behind me, and he had the 53-pound pack, I was like, and I felt like looking back, it's like, welcome to leadership. <laughs> people are, like, I want to be a leader. I want to be. A, I want people to notice me. Talk, 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 and be a guru in the church. It's like, okay, you're gonna switch backpacks with the guy with a heavy backpack. One time. Uh, George Washington rode up on a trail, and and some soldiers were clearing a tree off of a path, and the one guy was up on his steed telling people what to do. He said, excuse me, what rank are you? He said, I'm a sergeant. He goes, not anymore, private. Get down off your horse and help move that tree. Leadership, when you really understand it, is servanthood. Greatness is really just simple humbling and being willing to go the extra mile through the course of your life. And in fact, that's what this verse said. This poor guy was rich with all kinds of money and power and all this kinds of pleasure and everything, but he just had this little moment at the end. And uh, I had to instruct him in this present age, not to be conceited, but to fix his hope and not to fix his hope on the uncertainty of riches. They were all going through his fingers at that moment. All the palatial beauty and everything was all, he was gonna go out with nothing. But the most sacred and most blessed readiness we could ever have is to surrender our life to Jesus. Amen? And then in doing that, ensues so much of a richness of life. So much. What God does to us, then he wants to do through us. Listen, let this minister to you right now. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and with kindness or, or, or whatever. But... Basically, essentially, God is helping us to get ready. You may not feel ready. I usually don't feel ready when God has me step up to the the line and get ready to run the race. But it's good to and important to understand that Lord, the head of the church, is endeavoring to make us ready. He is endeavoring to make us ready. In fact, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Can we go there? 2 Timothy chapter 2. I've got just a little bit more time with you. Are you guys okay? I'm going to give you some practical steps on readiness. But I want to just generally uh, give you a charge to uh, be available to the Holy Spirit. Be available in evangelism. Be available for a word of encouragement. The Bible says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. God doesn't want us to waste our words on negativity, on reiterating all the negatives. I I read about a a business uh, entrepreneur who has bought and sold many businesses. He's a Fortune 500 type of guy. Wrote a book because he was so skilled, had such good habits concerning how to overcome and how to, you know, navigate through bad markets and things like that. And he wrote this book. He sold a million copies in the last 10 years, and it's, it has good, some good, good ideas. And he, he said one of them was you got to hang out with the right people, like, like Joshua hung out with Caleb, Caleb with Joshua. And Caleb had a different spirit, and he sought the Lord as God fully. So G- Caleb was Caleb because he was hanging out with God, right? And he was, he was relying on the Word of God as his primary reference rather than the circumstances, Like for example, when the flood hit, I didn't just go, oh God's trying to teach me something or oh, this is God's will and we're gonna sit here and we're gonna float and bob like corks on this thing and and there's gonna be mold everywhere, we're gonna be all moldy together for Jesus. No, God was saying, no, get up on high ground, get the stuff out of the building, rally the church, Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. You see all these neighbors here? Listen, go out there and clean up. Go out there and get shovels and get get a plan, get some skills together. Uh, Jim King and his team came over and he, he kept them on the clock and paid them and they came and helped. Pastor Rick Shelton uh, canceled his staff meeting and, and brought his team up here and, and the gear they had and helped us, people in the church rallied. And in three hours and 30 minutes, we evacuated and took the doors off the hinges while the people around us looked at us like Noah building the ark, like we were a bunch of idiots. And then the next day, somebody said, do you think they're stupid now? And they said, nope. We, one day we were stupid, the next day we were prophetic. And uh, then the Lord gave us favor. The Lord gave us wisdom, God gave me wisdom. Three hours of prayer through my depression, pacing in my yard. I could hear my wife crying in our farmhouse. I walked around, and God, I, it was the summer, it was hot and humid, I was numb, spiritually just kind of pacing, couldn't even pick my feet off the ground, my knuckles were dragging, pacing around in my backyard round after round, praying in the Spirit, praying with my understanding, praising God, even though I felt miserable. God, I need wisdom. What should I do? What should I do? I didn't didn't have a concept. I've never been in this place before. What should I do? And he said, now go get this guy. Get in your car. Take him up there to this place. Go to the mayor. Offer the services of the church to the mayor. Go in there and talk to him. We knew each other on a first-name basis at that point because we had, I had to go to the city hall for a whole year with attorneys and with you know, all this civic stuff to try to get all these uh, codes changed and we worked and worked and worked to get into this building only to have us get evicted by the flood. Uh, but yet God had a bigger plan. And uh, I, when I talked to the mayor, he was overwhelmed. And in fact, later on he told me, we did not have an action plan. And he told me later on, he said, I'm gonna tell you, you put out a lot of political fires. I thought, I did? First of all, I'm not interested in politics. I don't particularly like it. and I didn't even realize it. I just was obeying God. Yeah. And um, five years after, he got up and he said, this church did more for this than all of us put together. He broke down in tears. Just because we were functioning in obedience to the Lord, responding to the call, and God was making us ready. Because you see, prior to this, there was pressure to have people go out sandbagging And civic leaders were basically admonishing everybody. Now, you that have influence, you tell people to get out there and go sandbagging out in St. Genevieve and St. Charles and all these places. I did not have a witness to get people to go sandbagging. I felt like if I had put a trumpet to my lips and said, go sandbagging, it would have been wasting people's time. And it would have been forfeiting my credibility, crying wolf. So I didn't do it. And I felt really kind of bad about it. And I would watch the news and I would see this heroic sandbagging thing. And I thought, why would God not want me to be doing this? I had been fasting and praying and pacing the levees for about 18 days prior to this. And then God had spoken to me and I said, don't do sandbagging, do cleanup. So I got up in the pulpit. The pulpit was over there and it was facing this way. And we, and we had the children's church and part of this building. It was, it was only, there was only room for about five or 600 people. In fact, when we got in the building, I apologized to God that my vision was too small. Well, God helped out. with It worked out. We were able to remodel and then have multiple services, and uh, we'll keep expanding because we're growing, always growing. Living things grow. We're always growing. In the ebbs and flows of things, even the social distance moment, we're growing. We're a growing entity called the body of Christ. We're the church. You as an individual are growing in all aspects in Him. You're growing. So... Cleanup. I got up and I said, "God's called us." I call uh, August uh, the month of cleanup, and people looked at me like this because when you're really prophetic, you don't get an amen. It's unprecedented. It's like what? In fact, God is doing stuff He hasn't even revealed to me yet, and I'm cool with that because He's God. It makes me rely on Him. It's like it's like I can't go on cruise control. I got to stay. I got to stay aware. I'm like. What are you going to do, God? And I talk to him. I walk around the buildings, and usually behind, right about over about the turn, over by the flagpole, over in front of the children's building, I'll say, okay, God, uh, you told me to ask for wisdom. I know it's on an as-need-to-know basis. Um, you want, could, could you let me know what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open. You know, I, I know you're, you're God. Uh, you know, you told me to ask for wisdom, and that you're, you're cool with that. Okay, I'm going to keep walking by faith and trust you. When God said, clean up, and I walked the levees and prayed, I had no concept that it was going to flood here. Nobody thought it was going to flood here. I think maybe some did eventually, because they called and warned us within a few hours it flooded. My wife did supervise sandbagging. We built, she built a 14-foot-high sandbag wall in the back of the building, because that's the kind of girl I married. She rallied a team, and they built a big... But it was just about two feet too short, I was preaching. It was a Friday night, and so she covered here while I went preaching. And uh, that's, you know, that's what I, you know, hey, Patsy, you build the sandbags. And uh, that's what I did. Proverbs 31, a virtuous woman makes her arms strong building sandbags. But in our case, the rest is history. But so it gives us fuel. For and an awareness of patterns and the ways of God and learning the nuances of his style. God is so beautiful. He's so creative. He's an innovator. That's why, you know, you don't just get in, like, this isn't some somber, predictable drudgery. Christianity is a big adventure, and it's beautiful. But God wants to prepare us. Listen, I think about my dad. He worked for General Dynamics and the Astronautics Division. And he worked for the Saturn program. He worked for the Apollo program. and Things were so secretive that my brother and I never really knew all that my dad was involved with till later on in life because he had a security clearance. He was a super faithful uh, man of confidentiality, and he was faithful. So he didn't even tell his kids. But growing up, it was all about aerospace, and it was all about, and one of his pre- the presidents was an astronaut, I, you know, so these are people that became interesting and forefront in my life when I was a young kid, and it was in, in my impressionable years, I, would, I was fascinated by, like you maybe, that in order to prepare for their use of their suit, they would be thrown in a swimming pool, and in order to be prepared for G-force, they'd be stuck in a centrifuge and spun around until they vomited, uh, in order to get ready for weightlessness, they'd get up in a cargo plane that was all cleared out, and they'd go up there and, and they'd drop, they'd go up at a high altitude and drop, and for like a minute or a minute and a half, they'd be floating and doing flips and vomiting. So, it, you know, it's like they, they're getting ready and the, for things that they get a one shot at that they've never done before and they may not do again. And so it's fascinating, isn't it? And um, preparation is a gift to us, and preparedness and a willingness to prepare is our statement of desire to be pleasing to the Lord and be available to the Holy Spirit. Let me conclude with a couple of thoughts. 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 15. Did I read anything from 2 Timothy? All right, I'll, I'll just reread uh, the verse that I had for you from 2 Timothy. I wanted to read I wanted to read 14 through 26, but I'll just read verse 21 again. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, you can read the context of it, worldly chatter. Uh, Later on, it talks about speculations. It talks about youthful lusts. We need to lay aside vices and humble ourselves. Even Daniel wouldn't eat meat, the king's meat, for a 21-day period at the beginning of a breakthrough in his life. The Daniel fast, where we give something up. You know, we think about fasting food and... Jesus fasted food and water, you know, you should drink water. But, but a, a full fast or a Daniel fast or a partial fast, definitely draw the lines on some vices. You can give them up for a, a few weeks and make better habits. And, and the, I think those are some of those resolutions that help us to get ready and be more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? So, but this verse says, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. We're called to honor God. Sanctified and useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. How many of you that appeals to you that you'd be ready for God to use you? It, ap- it appeals to me. I want to close with this one verse because I think it's pivotal. First uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will pray with you. I want, I'll pray a dedication prayer as we go into this first Sunday, into this. First week of this new year. First Peter chapter three, verse 15. It says, "But sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. So make Jesus your priority. He's not, a, he's not an accessory. He's central. He's the main reason you're alive. He's the main focus of your life. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready. Say that always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience. Wow. There's a girl here in church who got as a Christmas gift, a apologetics Bible. And it's a regular Bible with articles on how to share the faith. And she's very intrigued by it. Now she for her career, has moved to another city, a very highly populated city, uh, that really needs Jesus. And she's actually saying, she and her sister who live there, that many people are exhibiting openness and receptivity to the Lord. And these are people that are really actually vibrant Christians. They're, it emanates out of the inside. It's not surface. It's not like uh, syrupy. It's, it's real for them. And because of that, it appeal, it's, it's an appeal. They're making an appeal to people. They're leading an appealing life. And as such, people are asking them, what makes you tick? What, what, what produces that, 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 that beam, in your, your, the twinkle in your eye? Why do you smile? What? And she's learning how to give an account when, for, to anyone that asks you. Now, I remember when we first became Christians, people would ask us, what, what is it about you? That was when people used to actually talk to each other. Before we were all going, you know, just kind of, I'm connected. I have virtual friends. You know, it, it, I'm convinced. And I'm not, I don't think this is old school. I actually think there, not, nothing can substitute for personal interaction with other people. God has made us to fellowship with him and to fellowship with each other. Right. And even if you're an introvert, I know a lot of people, very introverted, that have been in this church for years and years that actually provide rich, loving, warm connection, even though they are they're more they thrive more on solitude and they have more of a internal approach in their life, yet God doesn't let any of us off the hook. He wants those of us that are very people-oriented to learn how to be silent and learn how to get alone with God. And so there's always balance here, checks and balances, but I'll tell you what I think is gonna happen. I think we're gonna have a resurgence of opportunity where people are gonna be willing to listen to us, engage in conversation, and share why we have hope in us, and yes, lead people to Jesus. And yes, pray for their needs, and ask God to bring healing to them. I think we should covet earnestly spiritual gifts, the power gifts, the, wor- the working of miracles, the gift of faith, the gifts of healings, and to believe God for these things, and to be open to these things, and be ready for these things, sanctified and made useful for the master's work. So. Everybody say, live ready. You just never know when God's going to say, rise up and go and do this. So you just have to live vigilant. Sleep with one eye open. And, uh, and be ready. Everybody say, be ready. Let's all stand up on our feet. I want to pray for you. Find your heart Put both hands on it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That which the Lord set you apart for, that which the Lord has designated is what we're after. I've been around people that have pushed and pushed to do something that they wanted to do that wasn't really birthed by the Lord. And it's almost impossible to pastor that because they're so fixated on something And I I just want to say that I am not trying to stimulate that. I'm trying to discourage that so that you can be true to what God has originally called you to do, right? And what God's originally called you to do is better than anything you could trump up. It's better than anything you could try to produce with your own aggressiveness or posturing or pushiness, right? If you understood that, then you probably didn't need it. And if you didn't understand it then you probably needed it so i pray wisdom and revelation to you in jesus name say this with me heavenly father i plead the blood of jesus over my time my talents my treasure the purposes of god in my life shall surely come to pass i yield i submit i dedicate to the lord jesus christ in every area be my lord you're such a good savior i pray you would save people through my endeavors help me to be wise to win souls anoint me with refreshing that i can carry on in a diplomatic way in a resourceful way in an energized and creative way to care for, to love, and to connect people with Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys.